Turning your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. It's easy to find. Read your Bibles like, like Hebrews read. They start from the back. So we're going to start from the back. Revelation, the last book in the Bible. Gang, if you're just joining us, please know this. We, we really don't have any desire, nor is there a need uh, in Charlotte and the surrounding areas for another church. There's almost a thousand churches in Char- within a 45-minute drive of uptown or downtown, whatever the way to say that is these days, Charlotte. Almost a thousand churches. It makes us one of the most top three church cities on planet Earth. So we have a lot of churches. What we don't have is a lot of movement. We don't have a lot of depth. We don't have a lot of power. In fact, when Jesus rose again and then ascended into heaven, he gave this charge, this mission, to four or five hundred witnesses that were standing there and basically he camped out with 12 men. One of them doesn't count, Judas. So 11 guys went out into the world, and just 11 guys who were, here's the key though, all in. They were completely all in, 100% sold out. They changed the earth. And yet we have nearly 1,000 churches in Charlotte, and we can't change Charlotte. Okay, so it's not the masses. It's not the numbers. It's the percentage of how in the people are. A handful of people that are completely sold out can bring about a lot more change than thousands of people who are just comfortable and, and sort of learning some facts about Jesus and singing a few songs and going home. That's not why we're planting a new church. We want to see God move. We know God wants to move, so it's not something we're trying to convince God to do. He's so clear in His Word that He wants to move in powerful ways, so we just want to join Him in that and be a part of something huge. So today I'm beginning this brand new mini-series. It's only going to be a couple of weeks called All In. And here's another thing, too, because as you read, and I'll give you many examples from Scriptures today, but as I read through all the powerful, amazing stories in God's Word, I cannot find a single one that was a huge, impacting movement of God that happened with people that were sort of halfway in. How many of you play sports, high schoolers? How many of you play sports? How many of you did play sports when you were in high school or junior high? And... Could you imagine, I heard this actually, speaker at Word of Life said this, and, and it, it sounds ridiculous, but, but hear me out. Christians sometimes will do this, but could you imagine going to your coach the day before the biggest game of the season, whatever sport you want, football, soccer, whatever, and saying, Coach, I think you're going to be pretty impressed. I'm going I'm to give you a lot in the game. I'm going to give you 80%. When this game comes, and I know you're counting on me, Coach, that's why you'll be pretty happy to know that I'm going above the 50% mark. I'm giving you 80% for this game. I'm thinking most coaches would think you're nuts, and they'd probably bench you, right, in favor of somebody else who'll give you what? 100% or the all-mysterious, nebulous 110%. I mean, in other words, coaches want, you, you leave it on the field. If you're a boxer, you leave it in the ring. You should have nothing left. You give me everything you've got. Well, gang, I believe they got that from God's Word because God makes no bones about it, and Jesus was so clear. I don't want part of you. I don't want you to commit a little bit of your life or some areas of your life. I want all of you. And I promise to come alongside you and be there every step of the way and support you. And I'll give you the strength and I'll give you the the, sort of the wind beneath your wings and everything you need, but not until you first give me all of you. Don't make deals with me. 
I'll move on to somebody else. I don't make deals. I want all of you or nothing. So I've never seen a great movement happen with people that are sort of like, well, I'm mostly in, or I'm all in when it's convenient, or I'll give you three quarters of my heart. Just never seen it. So it turns out when it comes to the living God or the, uh, the God of the universe, he's, he's not really into almost. How's that saying go? Almost only counts in what? In horseshoes and hand grenades. I get the hand grenades part because you can lob it. It could be within 10 feet. And you're probably going to blow up your target. I don't play horseshoes much. What does that mean? Does that mean you can just barely hit it and it'll still ring around? And Come on, horseshoe champs. What in the world does that mean? How can it be almost? Who cares? Let's move on. Obviously, we don't have a lot of horseshoe players in this crowd either. So God's not into almost. God's not into just a little bit. God's not into 99% even. God of the universe wants 100%. In fact, in God's economy, there isn't even such a thing as, maybe I'll put it this way and I'll get, there's no such thing as being a little bit pregnant. There's no such thing as being a little bit dead or a little bit committed. It's just all or nothing. In fact, what's really, really neat is there's amazing stories. The best stories in the Bible and all the, they're not just stories, they're true, are the ones where the odds look crazy bad. I mean, just really bad odds. Like little David. And he was probably about 15 when he fought big Goliath. So what did David have going for him? Even Saul said, well, at least you should go out there with some armor. Here, wear mine. Well, according to uh, 1 Samuel, when, they picked, when the people picked Saul as their king, one of the characteristics they looked for, they wanted a big guy. Saul was head and shoulders taller than any other man in Israel. So Saul was already pretty big. So who's the logical choice to fight Goliath? Saul. He went out. Little David did it instead. But it cracks me up that Saul wants to lend little David his armor, that they even tried that. Isn't that ridiculous? It didn't fit him. He would have been dragging it around and dragging the huge sword. And he said, this isn't me. I can't do this. I can't be you. But I'll tell you what, I know my God will fight for me if I just have the faith. So one thing David did say in his own Hebrew way is, I can give him this. I'm all in. Because once I cross the line and go into that valley with Goliath, there's no turning back. I'm all in. I'm just a little boy, but I'll give God everything I have and watch him do a miracle. And there's so many stories like that in Scripture, and they're awesome because the odds are bad. But there's a lot of these Scriptures where there's one Scripture that says God's Spirit moves to and fro throughout the earth. Do you guys know this Scripture? Seeking those whose hearts are fully His in order that He may greatly support them, greatly lift them up to do His will, to bring glory to His name, to build His kingdom. So He, he moves to and fro throughout the earth, seeking those. Kind of get the idea they're hard to find with that, don't you? I mean, God's omniscient. He's all-knowing. So it should be, oh, there's 10 of them right there. I'll grab that. No, they're hard to find. So he's, he moves to and fro all the time, seeking those who have only one characteristic. They're strong. No. They can sing good. No. They can preach good. No. They're really, really smart. No. They're good looking. No. He moves to and fro throughout the earth, seeking those whose hearts are all in. That's it. That's all he's looking for. He'll do the rest. Fill the gap. So if we want to see a church that's a movement, not just another church, all I'm asking is one thing. Everything. I'm asking the same thing that God asks, that all of us are all in. I can promise you we won't regret it, but if we go halfway on this thing, then we run the risk of just being another church.
So over the next few weeks, we'll be taking a look at what the Bible has to say about God's movement or God movements and how we can be a part of them. Revelation 3. When I was a kid growing up, staying inside on a summer day was not an option for a couple of reasons. How many of you are over 35? Don't worry. I'm not going to go any further than that. I just, just want to see the older ones. And so what did your parents say when it was a nice sunny day in the summer to you? Right, just get lost. Your mom, right? Go, go outside. Play outside. You shouldn't be inside. A couple of reasons. One, my parents, like most parents, this is what they thought. They thought the kids who didn't get outside in the sun would form into pale, underdeveloped, golem-like creatures. And that's just what they thought. It's not healthy for you. You shouldn't be inside. You shouldn't have the shades pulled. You shouldn't be playing games and, and, and playing video games. Well, the other reason was there were no video games when I was in junior high, and I'm that old. There were a couple. I remember when I was in high school, Pac-Man came along and Donkey Kong, but by then, who cares? You know, people get hooked when they're younger, and so we, they're staying inside and playing these things. Or remember the games they had when we, when we were real th- the first ones that came out? What was it, paddle, paddleboard or whatever? Do you guys remember this? What's it called? Pong. There's a sophisticated game, huh? Dun, 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 dun. When you look at what people are playing now, they must have thought we were just morons. I mean, we just, look, my parents stood in front of us, uh, never mind. So there weren't really options of that. We went outside. And here's what my mom would say. She'd get so upset if we were undecided for whatever reason. We want to play a game. So listen, you either stay inside and read a book. Watching TV wasn't really an option either. Or you go outside. It's not halfway. And shut the door. You're either all in or you're all out. I'm not going to have you kind of coming in and out and wasting electricity and all of that stuff, either all in or all out. She probably had no idea how deep that statement really was. God's Word actually confirms this. There are countless examples of the pitfalls of doing things only halfway for God, of testing God out, of, of giving Him a trial run, of sort of halfway trusting Him, and countless examples of the benefits of just going, you know what, God, I have no idea how you're going to pull this off but I love you, and I know you love me, so I'm all in. I'm just all, there's countless examples of how pleasing that is to God when people just say, here goes. How many of you ever saw Raiders Lost Ark, all those movies, Indiana Jones, all that? God, it turns out, loves that fog scene at the end of, which one is that? You know, where it's all foggy, and he just goes out there, and a step appears underneath him. Don't act like you never saw that. Which one was that, Kendall? The what? The Last Crusade. Thank you, because they don't know. They're, it's like they don't see. So he's trusting, because he'd been told, he's trusting if he says the words or whatever, that those steps will appear. That's what God wants. Not, it's really not blind faith, gang, because God can't let you down. He's a good God. There's no evil. There's no sin. There's no malice in him. He's going to come through. So it's really not blind faith. It's just trust in his character and him being God. So, I want you to write this down. The first thing I want you to put in your notes, your shiny new notes in which all you need is a pen. If you don't have one, borrow one. If you're sitting near my wife, she usually carries like 15 pens, so she can supply the whole first couple of rows. And write this. If we're not all in, turns out we'll end up all out. Let me say that again. If we're not all in, we'll end up all out. Revelation 3, 14 through 16 talking to the seven churches, and here's what 
the angel said about the church of Laodicea. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write these. This is John writing these down. These are the words of the amen, Jesus. The faithful, the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds. You're neither hot nor cold. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, there it is again, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. That's what God says about lukewarm. doesn't sound like God is wishy-washy about lukewarm. He, he hates it. God hates it. And gang, I've, I've actually heard this taught before from preachers and enthusiastically received, and you'll find out in a moment why people love it, that this is a three-option scripture. There's three choices for the believer in this scripture. I only see two. How about you guys? I only see two options. Some of you are going, there's three. Are you blind, Pastor? Look real carefully. So some of you are saying, I read the verse and I, let me help you out, Pastor. There's hot, there's cold, and there's lukewarm. One, two, three. Well, the problem with a lot of Christians is they see lukewarm as not only a viable option, but as the best option. And I see that God says it's not an option. He says, here's the options for you. You're either going to be hot or you're going to be cold. And here's the scary thing about it. Hot is on fire for him. Cold is completely against him. But I guess God's saying at least you chose something. What I don't like, God says, is those who sit there and coast and want everything good from me and have no relationship or no connection. You're just sitting there tepid, lukewarm. That makes God so angry that he uses the verbiage, I will spit you. It's almost like you drink something that's disgusting and you spit it out really quick to get it out of your mouth. That's how God feels about people who go, I'll give you 10%, and you're lucky to have that. So we need to take a different look at this if we really want to please our God. Lukewarm, gang, in Scripture, equals useless. Lukewarm equals useless. Laodicea, it's, it's funny, it was located in a place, and I learned this a few years ago, that it was a situation where they didn't have hot water, obviously, but they wanted hot water. They wanted to bring it in for their baths, and they wanted to bring it in for their, their saunas. It was a wealthy city, and it turns out there were some natural springs that were not too far away, some of these hot springs that people would bathe in, but it was... It was something that they wanted so bad, they built these aqueducts, they built these, these things to bring the water into Laodicea, but the problem was the distance was just a little bit too far. So what do you think happened to the water by the time it got there? It was lukewarm. The water was lukewarm, and they tried to, to help this, this situation because people didn't, didn't want it for drinking, people didn't want it for bathing, it was just kind of useless. And that's what he's saying here, that's what the word literally means here. If you're, if you're going to give God a percentage, if you're just going to kind of be one foot in and, and not the whole thing, God says, actually, for my kingdom-building purposes, I consider you useless. Useless. I want all of you or nothing. I want all of you or nothing. So it turns out the Laodiceans were too far from the source to get either hot or cold. They ended up with what nobody wants, tepid, lukewarm. Let's look at some other examples. Turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 7. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. It's in the Old Testament. First few books there, five, six books there. Joshua 7. Here's the situation. The Israelites are about to take the promised land. And God says to Joshua, I'll give you every square inch you set foot on. Everywhere you put your foot, I'm going to give to you. Now, if God said that to me, I would take up professional walking like the Olympics. Wouldn't you? I'd just walk the rest of my life as far as I could. And Joshua kind of did that and he said, 
And here's the pattern. When you go in, I'll let you keep the spoils of these evil, godless people, and you defeat them. I'll give their land to you. But here's the first city, Jericho. And I want you to establish a principle, Joshua. The first fruits of everything that I give are going to come to me, not you. They're mine, not yours. Make sure that people understand that. This promised land is not because you've earned it. This promised land is not because you're the neatest people group on earth. I just want to give you something and not my other children that I created. I want to use you to bring glory to my name. So here's a principle you better not ever forget. The first fruits of everything go to me. Then you get to use the rest. So Jericho was the first city they were coming up against, and it was a doozy. It was the most fortified city on earth at that time. So God said, Every, everything you have, you, you, you kill everybody in there. They're completely evil. These are people that sacrifice their own children. About as godless as it gets. Imagine that, a, a culture that would sacrifice their own children. We live in one, basically. I mean, but these people, it wasn't even, wasn't even abortion. It was they would have a son, and a lot of times their firstborn son, they'd let him get to be about a year old because that was a greater gift, and then they'd put him on the altar of Baal and sacrifice their children. So the Baal would favor them and their crops. So these were, this, these, this culture of people was just gone, pure evil. And he said, so take everything. They had a lot of gold. They had a lot of spoils. But God said, you get none of that. That's not yours. Burn it all. That's mine as a sacrifice to me. And I'll give you stuff, not the first stuff. So they got it. Pretty simple lesson. All but one guy. All but one guy. They were almost, as a nation, all in. But Achan... Let me read this to you. Joshua 7, 1. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerai, who cares? Here he, here's what he did. Of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. I thought, Pastor, I thought you said they were bad things from the bad people. No, they're devoted. When God takes it, they're devoted to God. Our tithes and offerings are devoted to God. We're supposed to give him the first fruits. The beginning of the month, we get paid all this stuff. The first, the best, goes to God. We live on the rest. That principle hasn't changed. It's never changed. And the reason we do that is because it helps us dethrone stuff from the, from the throne of our heart. Some of you go, I don't need any help with that. Yes, you do. God's Word's real clear. Jesus, half the parables He taught were on money and stuff because they can get a hook in us so easy. So way back here, He was saying, don't let stuff get a hook in you. Give that to me. And remember to put me first. So He took it. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Now, on first glance, this doesn't seem fair, does it? There's probably at this point two million Israelites coming in to take the promised land. Achan is one guy, one guy who takes a little bit of the gold and silver and actually dug a pit and buried it so he could bring it out later and just say, hey, look what I found in our 15th battle when really it was the first one. But see, here's what God wanted said, I'm going to do a great and mighty thing through the nation of Israel. But I require that you all are all in. It's one body, one nation, that you all are all in. And so when one guy caused division or broke faith, God said, I'm not going to bless you till you get that straight. This seems harsh. God's command was that people take absolutely nothing from Jericho. From subsequent cities, they'd be able to keep the spoil. But Jericho was different. But listen to this, the entire nation felt the consequence of one man's sin because in the Spirit we are one body. Write this down if you want to understand this. 1 Corinthians 12, 20, Paul makes it real clear to the people at the church of Corinth. We're one body. Don't think of yourselves as individuals. We're all together one body. So think of it this way. Sometimes Paul would compare the human body to the body of Christ. Now listen, if I shoplift, 
with my left hand and I take something from a store off the shelf, what goes to jail if I get caught? My left hand or my whole body? My whole body goes to jail, not just my left hand. And Paul's saying, that's an analogy, but think of it exactly the same way. When part of the body is sick, the whole body begins to get infected. You need to be unified for a movement. So when God, when God calls a body of believers together to accomplish His will, together they make the greatest impact. Together they make the greatest impact. Divided their impact, listen, will eventually get weak and finally turn a corner and go the other way and become negative. If everybody's divided and everybody's following different visions, eventually it just weakens, and then finally it goes the wrong way, against the vision. The Israelites were always meant to enter and conquer the promised land together and united as a testimony to all the people groups around him of what God could do through united people. God could not very well have division entering the camp at such an early stage. Here's the first battle. I mean, he's kicking off this movement. The promised land. And this guy messes it up on the first battle. And God said, before we go another step. In fact, they did go another step. The Israelites got together. They were feared throughout the land. And then they went after this little tiny group. And they brought in ten times as many warriors. And the, the Israelites were just routed. And they fell on their faces before God and went, what happened? I thought we were going to win. And that's when God revealed it. You're not going to win another battle unless you get this straight. Unless you get this straight. You know, sometimes people say church leaders should just live and let live as far as people getting off vision or, or gossip or disunity and all that stuff. Just ignore them. Eventually, they will go away. No, here's what happens. Eventually, they will indeed stop, but it's not because they've given up and gone away. It's because they've completely destroyed God's church. That's when they give up. It's like cancer. If you've got stage four cancer running throughout your body, and you look at it and you go, well, eventually, I think the cancer will just stop and reverse. No, you better take it serious. You better go after it. Otherwise, it's going to infest your whole body. It's not going to go away. You have to deal with it. I think as a pastor, it's taken me way too long to discover how much this matters to God. It just has. I'm a fixer. I, I, I've never met a person, no matter how quirky, because I'm quirky and I have a lot of faults, so I've never met a person that I want to go, come on, can't we just fix you? Can't we just get this right? Can't we just all get on board? Can't we all just unite? So I do this, even when the Holy Spirit's very clearly told me, you need to act, you need to move. And sometimes I think people have paid a great price because I didn't move quick enough. For some bizarre reason, Christians hate to deal with brokenness and allow God's Holy Spirit to come in and convict and just break us. For some, maybe it's obvious, but for some bizarre reason, Christians hate that. We avoid it. I would say the number one thing, even if you listen to, to pastors on TV, here I come, and they teach how God blesses you, and they teach how you can know God's favor in your life, what do a lot of them point to as signs? What do they point to? Money, prosperity, sure. I mean, you know God loves you, you got a lot of money. You know God loves you, you're perfectly healthy. You know God loves you, everybody else loves you, you're popular. Health, wealth, prosperity. But I don't see that pattern. I sometimes see that reward. I sometimes see God bless people like that. But to say that that's a pattern and that's how God blesses, I don't find that in Scripture as the blessing. You know what I find? You guys are going to hate this. But it's true. And if we get this sooner, we're going to be a powerful church. Here's God's greatest gift. If He's going to use you greatly, He's going to burst, break you greatly. That's not fun, is it? But God never uses anybody greatly 
until they've first been greatly broken. Never. It's not going to happen. I have never, ever, throughout Scripture, you will not see God use somebody greatly until they have been greatly broken. Why? Turns out God loves crackpots. He does. He likes broken vessels, crackpots, and He likes to put them back together His way stronger than ever. But when we try to put it together our way, and we hand that to God and go, look, pretty impressive, God, you need me. God says, I, I mean, I can't use that. That's your own little thing you put together. I meant so much more for you. And He'll break that. And if we don't get angry at Him and, and run away from Him and get mad and think, what kind of father would break me like that? If we'll endure that, then He can use us greatly. But it turns out people run away from brokenness. And that's sad because I don't think you're going to be greatly used by God until you've been broken. In fact, I know you're not. You know who gets this, turns out? Can I see you people uh, over 30 again? You raised your hand before. Will you do it again? You know who gets this? Not you guys. You know who gets this? Kids. Don't they? Kids just, you want, you want to see a little kid turn around? When they, you can see conviction in their tender little heart. They'll, turn, they'll welcome brokenness. I'm so sorry. I remember with, with my kids, whenever I would tell Juliana anything, I mean, when she's really little, I'll just say, Juliana, I mean, that really hurt your dad, and that's really disappointing. <laughs> I mean, she would just crumble. The slightest little thing would just crush her. But she would want to please. Her heart was so tender. And, you know, uh, both of my kids, I think, have such tender hearts to the Lord. Nathan was a little tougher at first, though. You know, we, we, and when we were six or seven, the guy was like me when I was six or seven, sort of the omen, Damien, the omen child. You know, he, just, he would just hold out forever. Nathan, you hurt your sister. Say you're sorry. Sorry. It would kind of be like that. We'd stick him in time out in the corner or something. In the morning, at night, he's still there. You know, he's just sitting there in the corner. Just say you're sorry. No, I'm not going to do it. Never. I mean, we just hard out. We avoid brokenness, right? But typically kids, get this, typically kids are okay. Teenagers are some of the best. I mean, they can get into stuff and honestly see their life go the wrong direction. And you can just confront them and go, how's that working out for you? And you know God loves you. And if you, if you just come to Him and, and repent of that, He can turn it around. He can give you peace and He can give you joy again. And I sold that this past week at Word of Life. I mean, there were 500-plus teens there. And you just give them the truth, and their hearts are so tender I found out why I started out as a youth pastor, why I started out in young life. I love speaking to teenagers. You guys are tough. Teenagers, they're fun. So I thought maybe to help the rest of you, because we've got to be all in, or we're not going to be a movement, I thought we would hear from a couple of them. You guys want to hear from a couple of them from Word of Life? Well, I didn't tell them any particular order, but they are in front row, not back row Baptist. They're here. So, Fran, why don't you come on up? I have you first. You can even use, they're just going to share a couple of words. Coming up the, the stairs here, you can use this mic. Hold it up like we did on the bus. This doesn't work. This works good. And I'll be right here by your side. Hi, I'm Francesca, and this is my testimony on how... God changed my life over Word of Life camp. Before I went to camp, I was self-centered and not God-centered. I was too caught up in the world and not caught up to, with God. But God changed that over camp. When Pastor Rob preached his messages every day, it really made me think on how I was being self-centered. His messages were on a series called Diary of a Wimpy Christian. 
There was this one video I saw that inspired me a lot. There was this girl named Molly, and she only wanted things when she wanted them, not when she needed them. She was very self-centered and made me think how I want, I only want God when I think I need him, but the truth is I need him all the time. There was a day where they give you a ribbon and there's a cross, and on the stage, and it's on the stage, and if you wanted to, you could tie it to the rib. You could tie the ribbon to the cross, and I went up there and tied the ribbon to the cross, but I didn't just tie it to the cross. I tied my life to God's hands. He is so amazing, and it's been such a blessing in my life. And in Matthew 16, 24 through 26 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Thanks, friend. And next we have Marissa. Come on up, Marissa. Yeah, this may look easy up here, but this is hard, so be with them and support them. These kids are fired up. Um, I'm Marissa, and I went to camp really just thinking about how much fun I was going to have with my friends and not really focusing on why I was going to camp, which was to worship God and learn more about Him and grow closer with my relationship with Him. And so after the first few services, I felt like this is really just for new Christians, and I didn't really need to pay attention. I'm already saved. I don't need to worry about it. But later on in the week, the services got more relatable, and there was a video um, where the kids, they're walking past a group of sinners, and they're talking about they just don't get that there's people around them that are lost, and they need to help them find their way to God. And so I realized that I wasn't really doing my job as a Christian. And so in 2 Kings 7, verse 9, it says, They said to each other, We're not doing what is right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. And so um, that really made me realize that I really need to be reaching out to other people. And it really helped me remember that I'm not the only person in the world that needs to be saved. And so I've prayed, and I'm going to continue to pray that God will give me the courage to say something when I need to say something and the right words that he can speak truth for me to other people. All right, next we have Corey. Corey's brand new here. Some of you haven't met Corey, but this guy got fired up. Before I went to Word of Life, I was unsure of myself and second-guessing, unsure of life and my actions in general. Jeremiah 29:11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. The Word of Life camp taught me this, to live by the word of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and never second-guess things, then because the Lord has things already decided for our lives. Word of Life changed me. I went there unknowing and unsure, believing with a peace of might and a sound heart because I put my faith in Christ, and I know for sure that God has my back through thick and thin. I know that everything will be just fine, and that as long as I keep my faith strong and my heart open, I will have nothing to worry about in this life, but also the next.
really, honestly, gang, every one of them could come up and share. I've got a few more, but uh, I could have picked any one of them. This is what we did on the bus. We used the bus mic, and they just kept coming up for about an hour and sharing what God did. And I'm kind of biased. Here's my favorite from this group, my daughter, Juliana. Um, hi, my name's Juliana, and I'm the pastor's daughter. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I'm going to share my testimony about um, how God changed my life through Word of Life. Um, for me, before I went to Word of Life, I didn't really understand the difference between being a fan and being a follower of Christ. But now that I went to Word of Life, I understand. Um, my dad preached a message of um, called Wimpy Christian, and it really spoke to me because I thought that um, before I came to camp, I thought that because I was saved, I didn't need to worry about having a relationship with Christ because I already knew him. So I was just like, well, if I, he's saved, he'll forgive me for whatever I do. So I don't have to do things right all the time. I can mess up and he'll just forgive me and everything's okay. But that's not how it is. You have to read the word and you have to have a good relationship with him to get closer to him. And um, once I heard this series it really told me that you can't give 80%, you can't give 50%. You have to give all your heart to God, and you have to accept Him through your heart and be a follower. You can't accept Him through your mind because that's not real relationship. You have to follow Him with your heart, and by following Him, you have to give 100% and let everything else go. And um, a verse that really helped me understand this is John 3.30, which says, he must increase, but I must decrease. And it really spoke to me because I can't do it all. I really need God to help me through everything. I can't. I need God through every step of my life. And then in the message, it explains it like this. Um, this is the assigned moment for him um, to move into the center while I slip off to the sidelines. And that just really helped me understand that I have to follow Christ with my heart and not just accept him through my mind. So. Thank you. Thank you, Julian. I had to grab the mic from her. She's going to take over the church. She's a little preacher in the making. And finally, we got Ricky. Come on up, Ricky. Hey, everybody. My name's Ricky. Hey. Um, so I went to Word of Life, and it was like, it was really fun. We did a lot of things. We heard a lot of uh, stories and stuff. Uh, we had a really cool morning pastor. His name was uh, Pastor Rob or something. I don't know. He was a pretty cool guy, though. So when we were there, I had a cabin. I had three counselors, uh, one of which his name was Micah. And it was Roger Stan's birthday one day, and uh, we were at a campfire. So Micah decided to tell us uh, something to think about. Now, this is what I want you guys to do. I want you to close your eyes and imagine a car. Now, this car, it's not just any other car. It's your favorite car just ever. It's got new rims on it, a new paint job. It's shiny. It's beautiful. And on the window, you see a for sale sign. So you pull over. You go talk to the guy that owns it. And the guy gives you a price. This price is very, very low. And you're like, you're psyched for the car. So you ask him, hey, just tell me some information about the car. Everything's going well. But then, when he opens up the hood, there's no engine. 
No engine, no parts in there. It's just completely empty. This is kind of like most Christians today. On the outside, we say, oh, I go to church every Sunday. I read the Bible. I do all the stuff I'm supposed to do. But when it comes to, like, really who you are in the heart, you haven't fully accepted Jesus into your life. You haven't taken every opportunity you can to be with him and have him with you. Another example uh, he wanted to give us was, uh, imagine Walmart. Walmart, everybody knows it, and they have that little flower garden section. And when you walk into it, the first row is all just a bunch of green, beautiful flowers, and everything's there. And when you walk past that first row, everything there is dead. There's not one living flower out of all of them. They're all just dead and brown, and ugh, it's disgusting. This is another example of what I'm saying. It's that... On the outside, you're beautiful, you're loving Christ, everything just seems perfect to you. But on the inside, it's just not. It's not the same. You haven't accepted it fully. Now, accepting it fully is what we want to do. It's what, it's what God wants us to do for us to be able to help serve him. Accepting him fully is what it means to be all in. Thank you so much, Rick. <laughs> Ricky came up and he whispered to me, Pastor, would it be okay if I walked around a little bit while I speak? <laughs> sure. Would it be okay if I just take over? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> be great. If you preach like that, it'd be fine. I'll sit down. <clears throat> well, gang, like I said, they could all share like that. It was very, very impactful. No pun. Yes, pun intended. It was a very impactful trip for not just them, but the over 500 kids that were there, and I think even the counselors and some of the BI students and all of us in leadership, the speakers that were there, uh, unapologetically and boldly prayed. You know, God, this was my prayer when we first started out. Through 12 men, really 11, one doesn't count, that's Judas, you changed the face of the earth. Christianity spread. What could you do if 500 kids went back to their communities and were that on fire? And so I hope you're getting this. We have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people sitting in church every week in Charlotte, but they're not all in. Otherwise, gang, that amount, the sheer numbers should change not just Charlotte, but North Carolina and the East Coast and America and the world in a matter of a decade or two. But it hasn't happened. But look at what God can do when just a few people, even just a handful, even one, are all in, completely sold out. So that happens with brokenness. Look at brokenness as a gift from God, not something to run from. The only remedy for division or God not working huge in your life or what we were talking about before, too, if you want brokenness to come, the only way you can see that cured is, a, is kind of a four-letter word that doesn't have four letters, repentance. It's another thing that our culture today, another thing in American evangelicalism we, we're scared of. I mean, it's just a bad word. We don't want to repent, and yet... What I've seen God do through people that completely turn around, repentance means a change. Completely, you're going this way, it means a 180. You start going this way towards God. The only remedy for division and for wimpy Christianity is repentance and brokenness. Not remorse. Uh, I've got a few things listed that sometimes counterfeit. Not apologies, not admittance, not repayment, not just restoration. All these things might be present, but it won't cure wimpiness or division, only repentance gets the oxygen flowing again and, and the power of God's Spirit, uh, without which there cannot be a movement of God. 
So, Israel needed to be all in in order to accomplish God's great plan for them as a nation. Achan tried to see if he could be just a little bit in. So he said the right words. He looked like everybody else. He probably fought hard. He wielded the right weapons. But in the end, he kept some for himself. And that ruined it. Now, like I said, there's many examples throughout the Bible. That's one from the Old Testament. Here's a quick one from the New Testament because we need to get this. Ananias and Sapphira. Turn to Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira. It's actually a little divided on whether I should share this kind of stuff. But as I read through the New Testament especially, this is crazy, but... I'm, I'm floored by how often Jesus thinned the crowd when things were going well. How often God purged and thinned things when you think, you got a movement going, Jesus. Somebody needs to teach you how to grow a church because you keep thinning it out when, it's, when you've got the numbers. But it's actually all through the Bible. Sometimes it's seemingly the worst possible times. Right before Gideon, one of the judges, and his army are to face the 30,000 Midianites that have been persecuting them for seven years, God whittles Gideon's army down to 300. I just think, God, that's going the wrong way. How can we face the 30,000 Midianites with 300 people? When tens of thousands of people were singing songs to little David, David kills his 10,000s. There was a song they made. If you're King Saul, you hate this song. Saul kills his thousands. Saul's probably hearing that going, wow, that's pretty impressive. And David kills his ten thousands. You're starting to hate David for that, right? But when the people are behind David right there, you're going, this is the time. David's got the numbers. Let's move. Instead, God says, I want to refine you. Nine years living in caves with about 600 mighty men. That's going to be your life. What? I, I need you to have a smaller group around you, David, that learn what I can do when they're all in. And finally, I've shared this a lot. In the New Testament, this happened a lot. Here's one example. Jesus had some people following him because of his miracles, his healings, and his great teaching. And one time they were out so far away from their homes, they were hungry, and Jesus took one little boy's lunch and fed all of them, probably about 20,000 people. They were so impressed by that miracle that everybody saw that they wanted to take him forcibly in a semi-nice way, but forcibly, and make him their king, to go against Rome and just... Just put them up on a pedestal and say, you're a king, we'll follow you. But it was their way. And what did Jesus do? He started saying what it really means to follow him, and they all left. He was left with the 12 guys. And he said, are you going to leave? And Peter said, where are we going to go? To who are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. So you look at Jesus and you go, you had 20,000. You had a mega, mega church. Why did you push them away? Because I'd rather have 12, really 11, that are all in than 20,000 who just want a free lunch. I hope you guys are getting this. There were the 300, the 600, the 20,000, but there were 300 who were all in. They were 600 who were all in. They were 12 who were all in, really 11. Listen, the group can be small, but the group must be all. Write that down. The group, can, the group can be small, that's fine, but it must be all. That's non-negotiable. It must be corporate, not individual. Here's what I want for Impact Church. I want us all, all in. I want us all, all in. I mean, if we've got an Aiken in the group, come talk to me. I don't mean don't say, I'm Aiken, I'm going to kill this place. No, come talk to me. Tell me if you're struggling. We'll sit down and I'll help you to know how valuable and important and powerful it can be to be all in. If you're struggling, you go, I, I've given God a part of myself, but I don't know how to get the rest of the way, then ask and we'll help you. But I want us all, all in. You know, how many of you like to grill out the old-fashioned way, real coals and all that, not the pl- oh, a lot of hands went down. 
lazy grillers. I'm talking about with charcoals. Yeah, isn't that the best way, briquettes? Well, here's, a, here's an illustration of honestly how it works with the church. When you, for some reason, I'm, I'm inept at getting the coals going. I don't care. I could pour gasoline and everything on there, and it still won't. But if I do manage to get it going, it gets red hot. Here's what I've noticed. You've got to keep those things together, right? If you were to take some tongs and grab one red-hot coal and just move it over to the sidewalk or something and put it down there, how long does it last red-hot? Not very long. I mean, seconds. In a couple of minutes, that thing cools down to black and then gray, and it's done. If you want to get it red-hot again, though, there is a way, right? Pick it back up and put it in with the rest of those coals, and it'll get red-hot again. And this is why I keep saying I want us all, all in. This is not a Lone Ranger thing. This is something that you can make a big difference if it's just you all in, but we can make a huge difference if it's all of us all in. I mean, this is a big launch team. For a launch team, this is big, and half of us are gone for the summer at any given time. But if just this launch, time gets, launch team gets serious and says, we didn't come to be served, Tim Peck Church, we came to serve, and so when the masses come, we will serve them and show them Christ by our service, then this can be a movement. Oh, come on, is it that easy, Pastor? Yes, it's that easy. He does the work, really. God does the heavy lifting. But if you've ever been on fire for Jesus, then you know you never want to see it end. But if you try to be a lone ranger, it'll end. It'll end. We need each other. I don't want us to ever be all out, all out of favor, all out of momentum, all out of opportunity. It's hard to get that stuff. So I want us to always keep that stuff. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I've got some incredible things that, that describe what all in looks like versus all out. And these are way too powerful. I did not plan on doing this, but I'm looking at my little timer, and it's time to end. So I'm going to move these things. I'm going to have you hang. I'm going to move these things to next week, and I'm going to preach the whole time about how you can know. So listen, if you're struggling, you're going, I don't know if I'm all in. I don't even know if I have the courage to be all in. I don't even know what it means to be all in versus all out. What's it look like? I'm going to make it concrete, absolutely crystal clear next week so that if you want to be all in, you'll know the steps you got to take to get there. And gang, it's simple. It is so simple. God's not far away. I mean, He's right there. Typically, all you have to do to be on fire for God is just turn around. He's right there. If you're walking in the opposite direction, He isn't going the opposite direction. All you have to do is turn around. He's right there. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for what You did uh, this week, not just among our students at Impact Church. And Lord, that they've come back and they've said, I want this to spread. I don't want it to end. And they want to keep the fire going, Lord. But also what You did among the other 500 students from all over the country, Lord, and I pray for them as they've returned to their homes uh, and they realize now that in some ways they, they were so on fire, they were red-hot coals up on the mountaintop, and maybe they feel like they've been removed a little bit and, and they're gasping right now and struggling and a little bit afraid. Lord, I pray that they would quickly get with others and spread that fire and get red-hot again. God, there's no doubt in Your Word that if we will give You all, You will do great things through us. But if we hold out and we hold just the little, slightest, smallest piece back, then we can see thousands of churches in an anemic, almost nothing impact. It's really easy to say, Father, but it's really hard to do. God, I pray you'll unify this church, Lord, bring in a great diversity of backgrounds and gifts and everything, Lord, and that it's so easy to look at each other and go, I don't like the way that guy thinks. I don't like the way that gal dresses. I don't like, and Lord, and, and Satan would love for us to, to think we know other hearts, Lord, but unify this group. 
Help us to accept faults and differences in everything and just love you. If we're all in, those things tend to fade to the background. God, even as we get prepared to give back to you, help us to realize that every good thing we have anyway, we wouldn't even have it if you didn't give it to us. Lord, let us not be like Achan. As we, as we give back as our tithes and offerings, Lord, let us reach down and go, okay, it's the first day of the week. Let me acknowledge God as my one and only God, the center of my life. I'll give Him the first fruits and, and trust Him to bless the rest. God, we love You. And Lord, we don't say this in a, in a crass way or anything, but we all have no interest, Lord, in being just another church. We really don't. God, I know in my life, as I've gotten to the halfway point of my life, Lord, I, I want to finish as a part of a movement. Lord, I want to shepherd a people. I want to be part. All the quirks, flaws and all, Lord, I, I want to see you do a great, big Gideon work. I want you to take a, a handful of people, Lord, and, and just blow it up for your name. I want the, the name of your son, Jesus, to be magnified. Lord, I want everybody who ever walks in Impact Church to hear and to see the name of Jesus lifted up. And Lord, I, I pray that they would encounter you each and every week and that nobody would leave less like you, but everybody would leave more like you than when they came in. We love you. That's our prayer, and we know you want that anyway, Lord. Help us to believe and to cling and to give you all. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. See you next week.